Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for the Wilmington, Ohio Church of Christ. We pray that this message will inspire you and help you grow closer to God in your faith. Be sure to stick around after the message to find out more about how you can take your next best step. Enjoy the message. Bono is the uh, lead singer and frontman for the famous Irish rock band U2. U2 was formed in 1976 in Dublin, Ireland, and they have been dubbed one of the most influential and iconic bands of all time. Now, the reason I'm a fan of theirs is not just because of their great music. I am a fan because Bono has been a very upfront and outward man about his faith and relationship in Jesus. And I watched an interview Bono did not too long ago with a Christian publisher. And in this interview, they were asking him all of these different viewpoints on how he viewed certain things about the Bible. And when there came time for the question of how he viewed the Old Testament, this is what he said. Bono said, I look at the Old Testament as more of an action movie. Blood, car chases, evacuations, a lot of special effects like seas dividing, mass murder, adultery, the children of God are running amok like wayward sons. Maybe that's why they're so relatable. I really like how he compares it to an action movie because when we look at the Old Testament, we can see a lot of those elements that would make it seem like an action movie. The Old Testament can at times be very violent and at times very, very graphic. I remember when Dale and I was in conversation about doing this series, we were throwing out different Old Testament stories that we could potentially cover, and I suggested that he cover the book of Judges. Then he gave me a nervous laugh. Because he said that can be one of the hardest books to preach from because of how graphic it can be. I mean, week one, right out of the gate on the series, Dale preaches about Noah's Ark and how God destroys the entire human race except for Noah and his family. But yet when we read the Old Testament, another thing we can see is that there are a pattern of promises. We see a pattern of God making promises to protect and deliver his people and to bring judgment to those who are against them. We also see that he will use his people to help bring these promises into reality. So today, we are going to look at God using his people to bring down an entire city. Today, we're going to look at the fall of Jericho. The fall of Jericho. We can find the story in Joshua chapter 6. Joshua chapter 6, and I'm going to start reading in verse 1. Now, the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites, No one went out, and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all of the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout, then the walls of the city will collapse, the army will go up, everyone straight in. Verse six, so Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And then he ordered the army to advance, march around the city with the armed guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord. Verse 11, so he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once, then the army returned to camp and spent the night there. On the seventh day, the seventh time around, this is verse 20, when the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed, so everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. 
They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword every living thing in it, men, women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. Then Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, we see this earlier in Joshua, two men spied the city of Jericho. There was a prostitute named Rahab. She gave them shelter from the guards. So they promised that when they took the city, she and her family would be spared. Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. At that time, verse 26, Joshua pronounced a solemn oath. Cursed before the Lord is the one who undertakes to rebuild the city Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn son, he will lay its foundations. At the cost of his youngest, he will set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout the land. I am a sports fan. I'm a fan of sports. I'm not a sports fanatic like some people I know. But I am a fan of sports, especially the sports I like. I personally think hockey is the greatest sport known to mankind. And everyone is in green. It's great. Another sport I have recently come to like, and I have a newfound respect for, especially studying some of it, is boxing. If you are a fan of boxing, you will know that boxing is not what it used to be. The golden age of boxing was actually back in the 1970s, 1980s era. And of course, you cannot talk about the golden age of boxing without talking about Muhammad Ali. And you cannot talk about Muhammad Ali without talking about the rumble in the jungle. That is what they called this fight. On October 30th, 1974, Muhammad Ali steps into the ring to face off against George Foreman. Now, if you know anything about this fight, you will know that Ali was not favored to win. He was about 32 years old which in boxing age is starting to get a little over the hill. And he was facing George Foreman, a champ, this prodigious puncher. He had this reputation of being this heavy hitter. And he was 25 years old, which is the prime age for boxing. So not only was Muhammad Ali not favored to win, people were afraid he could get seriously injured. Now, they said if Ali had any chance at winning this fight, he would have to use what little speed and a quickness he had to his advantage. But if you know anything about this fight, you know that Muhammad Ali does something very unconventional to win this fight. About the second round of this fight, and we should have a picture of it here, Muhammad Ali decides to lean way back against the ropes and invite this prodigious puncher, George Foreman, to come in and swing away at him. Angelo Dundee was Ali's trainer. They said he was screaming at the top of his lungs, what are you doing? Get off the ropes. But Muhammad Ali stays in this position. He does this to about the eighth round. When he sees that George Foreman, this heavy hitter who had been swinging away at him this whole time, his tank was about empty. When Muhammad Ali sees this, he jumps off the ropes and knocks George Foreman out in the eighth round. This has been dubbed the rope-a-dope. Now, the reason this fight it's so interesting. It's not that Ali won, but it was because of how he won. Joshua chapter 6 is the biblical version of the rope-a-dope. Now, if, you, if, if you're new to the Christian faith, if you did not grow up hearing a lot of these Old Testament stories, I believe there are a certain handful that are kind of universally known. And I think Joshua chapter 6 just may be one of those. Because here is God. He tells the Israelites, okay, I need you to take down Jericho, but we're going to do this in just a little different way. Instead of charging the gates, I'm going to have you march around the city once a day for six days. 
The seventh day, I'm going to have you march around the city seven times. After the seventh time, they're going to blow the trumpets. The men will shout, the walls will come down, and the city is yours. The reason this story is so well known is not because the Israelites won. You read scripture, they win a lot of battles. It's so well known because of how they won. They won in one of the most unconventional of ways. Again, this is the biblical version of the rope-a-dope. Now, Dale does this really well, and I'm going to try to do the same. When we're teaching these Old Testament stories, we don't want to just inform you about what this ancient text says. We want to inform you and inspire you to answer the call to action to how this applies to how we live today in 2022. And to do that, there are two things, two things this text points out that we need to realize and come to grips with as Christians and two things that we need to be doing. Two things to realize, two things we need to be doing. One of the things that this text points to is that to be a child of God, to be a part of God's covenant people, means that we do not get a pass out of battles. When you got saved, God did not take you off the battlefield. He left you on the battlefield. We can actually read more about that in Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, Paul's talking, he says that we struggle, we fight, but our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but our struggle is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So this is the first thing we need to realize. Being a Christian does not eliminate you from the battles. Now, what gives us an advantage over everyone else in life who is embroiled into battles, what gives us the advantage is the one who is fighting with us and for us. We have a very real God who is working behind the scenes to ensure our victory. Listen to me today. This might be something you need to write down, you need to remember. To be a Christian, to be a child of God means that we do not fight for victory, we fight from victory. So our victory was already secured on the cross, amen? So to be a child of God means that victory is no longer our destination. It is our starting point. But we are in these battles, and yet what this text points to, and what we can see if you know or read anything throughout Scripture, is that God can have, at times, a very profound sense of humor. I mean, Here's God, he says, hey, hey, we're, we're going to take, the, take on these men in Jericho, but instead of charging the gates, we're going to have you march around the city several times. And that's how we're going to win. We can see this throughout scripture. We can even see when God tells, I can just see God telling the Holy Spirit, hey, you see Moses over there? The Israelites, they're battling. And yet, all they got to do is help Moses hold up his arms, and they're winning. If Moses lowers their, his arms, they begin to lose, bring him back up, they're winning. Or hey, you see David? This guy's going to go out there and fight this giant. None of the other men would, but he's going to go out there with no armor. He's going to pick up five smooth stones. He only needs one. We can see this throughout Scripture that God can have a very profound sense of humor. Yet, not only this, God loves to use the rope-a-dope. 
When we read scriptures, what we can see is that God loves to use lesser entities than angels. Psalms chapter 8 says he has made us to be just a little lower than angels. What God loves to do is he loves to use lesser entities, known as humans, to fight and win against the demonic. And not only that, what we can also see is that God loves to use what at times the world would look at and say is unconventional and even silly means to pull off huge victories. We can see here in Joshua, they're marching around Jericho. That is not how they done things back there in the day. They would probably charge the city, maybe set up a siege. But no, he's going to have them do something unconventional, maybe even silly, to pull off these huge victories. In fact, the most unconventional means God has ever used is the cross of Jesus Christ. If you want an example of God using what the world would deem as foolishness to pull off the greatest victory, look no further than the cross of Jesus Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 18, Paul says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Verse 20, where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. But God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who God has called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. What he's saying here is that on God's dumbest day, he's still smarter than us. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Please listen to me carefully, church. What does this story, what does this story about God going, I'm going to use this crazy method? Silliness. Wake up. We're going to march around the city. We'll go back to camp. Day two. Wake up. Going to march around the city. Go back to camp. Day three. Wake up. What are we going to do today? March around the city. Go back to camp. Day four, five, six. Six days. Seventh day. We're going to wake up. Today's going to be a little different. We're going to march around the city seven times. At the end of the seventh, we're going to blow the trumpets. The men will shout. The walls will come down. What does this story, with God using this crazy method, how does this apply to how we live today? What is God doing here? What is he trying to show us? Here it is. Ultimately, God will at times call us to do what from the world's perspective would be unconventional and silly means so that it is so unconventional, it can only point to the glory of him. This is the second thing we need to realize. As Christians, God can call us to do unconventional and silly means for his glory. Now, here's the tension. Yes, God wants us to use wisdom. That's why we have the book of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. He wants us to use wisdom, but he also speaks to us through his spirit. 
Jesus said, my sheep can hear my voice. They know it's me. They can recognize it's me. So we believe that God speaks to us through scripture, but he also speaks to us through his Holy Spirit, who at times can call us to use what the world will look at and say is very unconventional and even silly methods, but it all points to the glory of him. I have a friend named Troy. He used to live in Colorado, and he told me a story about um, him and his dad. His dad was not the greatest role model. He was um, an alcoholic and at times abusive. But it was their tradition every week to sit down around the TV and watch the Denver Broncos play. He told me about a story. On a Sunday night in 2005, they were watching the Broncos play, and just as they were lining up to kick a field goal, on national television, you could look between the two uprights, and you've seen a man in the crowd dressed as a clown. He said he had on the full outfit, big red nose, big red hair. Looked silly, but he was holding up a sign that says Romans 6.23. That intrigued Troy's dad, so he wanted to know where the old family Bible was. They pulled it out, dusted it off. He turned to Romans chapter 6, looked at verse 23, and it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And it was on that night that my friend Troy's dad found Christ. Now, if you're there, and you're the guy in the clown costume, I really hope the Holy Spirit told you to do that, because if not, there might be something wrong with you. But you hear that story, who are you in all of? Not the guy dressed as the clown. You're in all of God. Even though the means to deliver the message looked silly and definitely unconventional, but it was because of that that my friend Troy's dad is now in heaven today with Christ Jesus. You see, even at times in my own life, times I'm not proud of, there's been times where I thought that my methods could be greater than God's. And I think of one, it was almost two years ago. I had been texting a friend who had been struggling with his faith, and he texted me and said, I don't believe at this point that there is a God. And he listed all of these reasons why in the text and said, can we talk about this? So we made plans to meet later that evening. And in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, I got this. He texted me the questions, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to script out my answers to all of his questions. And I was pretty proud of myself because I'm like, wow, this feels very profound. I'm getting... I." Theologically, I'm in line. I'm going to seem very smart, like I got all the answers, like he can rely on me to have all the answers. I got this. But the whole time on the way there, the Holy Spirit was struggling to get a hold of me and try to tell me that I need not to do that. Just listen, let him know I care, and then answer through the Holy Spirit. But I was trying to, I had this internal struggle because I'm sitting here thinking, well, God, no, I already, I already got this scripted out. Do you see what I did here? I'm pretty proud of myself. I, I mean, I pulled out my Bible. I got, it's, I sound like a college professor with these answers. I was pretty proud. And so I'm like, no, nah, surely God would want me to use this. So I go in. And every word that came out of my mouth felt so impotent, felt so dry, just like it was scripted. Now, thankfully, there was later conversations that went much better. But the reason for the story is, when I choose to go the way of my own mind and my own wisdom, 
when God at times is calling me to go silly, I completely devoid the act of the power of God. What I'm about ready to say, church, what I'm about ready to present as this question, as this thought, it is in no way intended for anyone or anything personally. There's grace with this, just as God has given us much grace when I mess up time and times again. But it's not meant for anyone personally. But maybe that's how we need to hear it in order to evaluate. Could it be that the reason that the church of Jesus Christ can feel so impotent at times today is because we have become our own brand managers. We have become our own PR CEOs. Each one of us has become our own image consultants trying to project an image into the world of what we think Christianity should look like, how we want the world to see us as Christians. We have become so controlling of our image as Christians that we have completely controlled the Holy Spirit out of our lives, out of our worship services, out of our jobs, out of our families, all because we refuse to look silly at times for the glory of God. If you're a Christian and you've refused to look silly at times for God, then maybe it's time to reevaluate whose image you are trying to worship, yourself or God. He didn't call us to betray our own image. We were made in the image of him to reflect him into the world. That is what creation was made for. I love our church. I love our church family. I love our congregation, every single person. And it has been my prayer over the past several weeks, maybe even months, the Holy Spirit has been putting this desire into me that we can be a church that has a theology that cannot be dismissed and a Holy Spirit power so moving that it cannot be denied. That's the kind of freedom I want for our church. Now you may be saying, Jacob, you're talking about Holy Spirit power and freedom. Are you trying to get us to go Pentecostal? Remove the labels. Whatever they had in Acts chapter two, that's what I want for our church. Whatever they had on the day of Pentecost, that's what we all should want for our church. So Lord, deliver us from being control freaks. We make room for the Holy Spirit to move, who at times can call us to go silly, just like the Israelites marching around the walls of Jericho. But these unconventional means are not a dead-end street, but they are a boulevard that can point people to the glory of God. That's what we want. There are two things we need to realize. Being a Christian does not eliminate us from the battles. We are very much in the battle. Second, to be a Christian means that God can often at times call us to use unconventional and maybe even silly means for his glory. Now, those are the two things we need to realize. Here are the two things we need to be doing. But before we get to those, did you know that this story of Joshua, the story of 
This battle of Jericho, the battle plans, it does not start in Joshua chapter 6, verse 1. It actually starts a few verses before at the end of Joshua chapter 5. And I wanted us to see first, see the promise God made of Jericho, see the outcome, and now we're going to look out at how it starts because, Christian, this is so important. This is how everything in our lives needs to start. Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Here it is. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant to do? As Christians, as a child of God, in everything he has called us to do, our first course of action needs to be to pray up for instructions. Pray up for instructions. What if, what if the success of everything in life, what if, what if the success of your marriage or relationships was based on your prayer life? What if the success of your children or the success of your job, of your finances, was based on how you approach God in prayer. You see, because a lot of times Christians can make the mistake, and I am guilty. We can make the mistake of approaching God in prayer from this comatose state of mind, expecting him to fix everything. I have prayed so many times Lord, my friend needs saved. Would you please let him get saved? Maybe we're praying prayers like, Lord, I want my marriage to be better. Would you please make it better? I want my job to be better. I want to be better at my job. I want my finances to be in better shape. God, would you please let that happen? And we're praying on one hand for God to fix everything. And on the other hand, we're thinking, well, things aren't falling in line. But God don't work that way. Instead, the prayer that we should be praying is, Lord, would you show me how? to talk to my friend who's not saved? Would you please show me how I can be better at my marriage, at my relationships? Would you please give me the instructions on how I can be better at my job, better at my finances? All along, we can be guilty of praying for things that God's sitting here saying, I'm waiting for you to ask for them. I will give you the instructions that's how God works, which leads us to our second thing we need to be doing. As a child of God, as Christians, and this one can be really hard, we have to show up to Jericho. We have to show up to the battlefield. Joshua chapter 6, verse 2 says that Joshua's like, Lord's like, Joshua, don't you see? I have given you Jericho. I have given you the city with all this king and his fighting men inside. The city is yours. Here's the promise from God. There's blessings in store. But you're going to have to show up and march. You're going to have to show up and put in the work. See, God has blessings for every single person in this room today. For yourself, for your families, for your relationships. God has blessings in store for this church for our community, but he requires us to show up and put in the work if we want to see the blessings because that's how he works. He's in partnership with us. 
lot of times we want to claim the blessings of God, but all the while unaware that he requires us to follow his instructions and show up to Jericho. It's like the man who walked into the bank. He hands the bank teller a, uh, a check and he says, I have resources I'd like to access. Can I please access those? The bank teller, she slides the check back to him. And she's like, I'm sorry, you, you cannot access those. He starts to get a little upset. And he's like, no, no, I was promised. They're there. Why can't I access those resources? And she flips the check over and says, because you need to endorse it first. The blessings of God are there, but it's up to us to show up and endorse the check. It is one of my fears. There is no biblical proof saying that this will ever happen. No theological perspective here, but I believe this is well within God's right to do. It's one of my fears that I will show up to heaven. The Lord will take me on a walk. We'll get to a mansion. Inside, there's a room. He opens it up. And inside, there are all of these things with my name on it. Stuff like character stuff, integrity stuff, honorable stuff, my name on it. And I'll say, Lord, I've never seen any of these before. He'll say, well, you've never asked. The gospel says, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open for you. The blessings of God are their church. But if we're not willing to show up to the battlefield, then why do we feel like we're entitled to the blessings? They're there. The Lord has promised them, but it's up to us to show up and put in the work. Follow the instructions. Showing up can be hard. Showing up to the battlefield can be hard as Christians. It doesn't look like today what it looked like for the children of Israel. But all in the same, God still gives instructions and the expectation to show up. And showing up is going to take courage. Showing up takes passion, takes persistence to keep showing up keep putting in the work. Angela Duckworth is a author. To my knowledge, she is not a believer, but she actually wrote a book about this idea of grit, this idea of being gritty. And I actually kind of like how she defines it, and I'm going to read that here real quick. She says, to be gritty is to keep putting one foot in front of the other, To be gritty is to hold fast to an interesting and purposeful goal. To be gritty is to invest day after week after year in challenging practice. To be gritty is to fall down seven times and rise eight. That's what being a Christian is. To keep showing up. To keep putting in the work. Because we trust in the promises of God, we trust in the blessing of God, so we keep showing up. George Bueller, he said in his, uh, in his autobiography, he said he had three friends he wanted to see become Christians, three of his closest friends. And so he prayed for them day after day, 
witness to him any chance he could because he wanted to see this happen so bad. He'd pray so much, oftentimes for hours out of a day. He would pray, he would witness. He says sometimes it felt like it was just never gonna happen, but he trusted that God could do this, so he kept praying, kept witnessing. He got to see one of them be saved before he died. The other two found Christ at his funeral. That's showing up. That takes persistence. That takes passion. Just like the Israelites marching around day one. Had to be exhausting. Day two, march. Day three, this is getting tiring. This is hard to keep showing up, but we keep showing up because we trust that God has made the promise. God has blessings in store. So we are going to keep showing up, keep putting in the work because the promises of God should outweigh anything we ever feel. That's why we keep showing up. Back last year, the leadership of the church was in this conversation about wanting to see this passion, this vision for wanting to see a disciple in every home in Clinton County. And Dale, during the discussions, brought up the question, why? Why is the reason we want to see this? Why is the reason we want to see this? And there were several answers, but the best answer that came out of that is an answer that can be a little too, sometimes it can be a little hard to say, can be a little too real once you hear it out loud. But here's the answer. Because we don't want to see people go to hell. Everyone in here knows someone who is in danger of hell. Could be someone you know, someone close, a friend, coworker, family, a child, sibling, parent, grandparent. Everyone knows someone who's in danger of hell. And maybe you're thinking of them now, so I'll ask the question. Is that reason alone enough? Is that reason alone enough to want to show up? If you feel like you've been in this comatose state, thinking that as a Christian, God can handle everything, when in fact he has called us to be the ones, to be the hands and feet, to show up and put in the work, is that reason alone enough? I keep having to ask myself a question of why. Why has the Lord continued to put this passion in me, continue to want to see our church, like I prayed earlier, be a church that has a theology that cannot be dismissed and the Holy Spirit power that cannot be denied? Why do I want to see this so bad for our church? The reason is simple. Because I love this church. I love this congregation, this body of believers, and I don't want to see anyone miss out on the blessings that God has in store for the person who says, I'm going to pray up for the instructions and I'm going to show up to Jericho. There are several people in our congregation who inspire me, who have shown me what it looks like to be a child of God that prays up and shows up. And these people, I'm so thankful for them, and they vary through many ages. And some of them are even our high school students. I love, it's one of, my, it's one of the highlights of my year, 
uh, when we get to take the students, the high school students, to MOVE conference at CW University. It's, it's meant for the kids, but I think sometimes the adults have more fun. But I'm inspired every year because at the end of the week, they present what is called a kingdom worker card. At the end of the week, a very spirit-filled week, they present a kingdom worker card. And what it is, it's an envelope with a task inside, a challenge, an opportunity for them to show up and put in the work. And I have firsthand seen several of them pray up for the instructions on how they need to accomplish that task. And then I see them show up and put in the work. I'm thankful for the blessings to come out of that. Church, I have in my hand right now, this is a kingdom worker card. And this is a challenge that is being presented to our congregation today that we wanted to do to give the opportunity to show up. These kingdom worker cards, there are plenty. They are in the back of the room right over there on the way out in the corner. They are in Kid City, um, the Kid City exit. If you're watching online, you can fill out a connect card and we will send one to you. And here's the deal. Not everyone has to take one if you don't feel led to because this is serious business. Inside each card is a different challenge. They're all randomized, they're all different. As far as I know, none of them say dress up like a clown and go to a pro football game. Although I might like to see that. But it may make you feel uncomfortable. It may seem, some of these may seem a little unconventional, but that's okay. That's okay because you know what? When the world looks at a Christian who is using an unconventional and sometimes it may even seem silly method, when they see that, that's what they say. That's different. That's weird. That's silly. When God sees that, he says, that is my child. That is who he blesses. It's his children who are obedient receive the instructions and show up to put in the work. So I could stay up here for a long time and try to convince you to take one of these, but I'm not going to do that. I am going to let the Spirit move. What's going to happen is you can take one of these cards, you can pray over it. We're going to make these available for the rest of this sermon series leading up to Easter. But if you take a card and you break the seal on the envelope, what you are doing is you are committing to God that you are going to accomplish whatever is in that card. Because if you already know what it is, we tend to want to pick and choose what we want to do. But if we follow through with obedience, I'm excited to see the blessings out of it. If you take a card, we're not going to keep tabs of who takes a card. We're not going to have you sign them out. This is between you and God, and he takes this seriously. But we do want to hear back about the blessings. You can text me, call me, email me, grab me in the hall. I want to be able to hear about the blessings that come out of accomplishing one of these. Because it's going to be awesome. You can take one for yourself. You can take one for your family. How cool would that be if a whole family did one of these together? But what's going to happen is I'm going to pray and that each person is going to have to make the decision if they're going to take one of these and pray for the instructions and show up.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for the blessing of your Son. We thank you for grace upon grace, for the times that we do not show up. Your grace, it's astounding, God, that you would still want to use us. God, but you love your children so much that you are willing to die for us so that we can be used, so that we can have the opportunity to be a child that prays up for the instructions from our Father and shows up to Jericho to put in the work. And Father, we are thankful for the blessings that follow, blessings that are undeserved. Father, in this moment, I pray for each and every person here of this congregation, this congregation that you have led me to and that I love. I am thankful for them. I pray that now you would move through the hearts of each individual person here, work through them, guide them, give them the instructions, and help inspire them to be the Christian that shows up. We love you and we praise you this morning. It's in your son's name. Thanks again for joining us. If you need someone to pray with you, talk to, or maybe you just need more information about our church, please visit us online at wcconline.org slash connect. Fill out that connect card so we can reach out and help you take your next best step. Thanks again for joining, and we will see you back here next time.